Nobody likes a tattletale. And Joseph isn't a little kid, like five or six years old. He's 17 for crying out loud. He's the age of our graduating seniors. And he's running home to daddy to tell on his big brothers. I know that sibling rivalry is as old as time, starting way back with the original family. In the fourth chapter of Genesis, Cain actually murders Abel because he was so jealous of his brother and the thought that God liked Abel's offering better than his. Jacob and Esau were pitted against each other because their parents played favorites. And now Joseph. Joseph doesn't stand a chance with his brothers once his dad gives him the special coat that effectively moves him to a class above his brothers. I'm not saying that there aren't days when you as a parent might appreciate one of your kids a little bit more than the other, but for heaven's sakes, you don't show it. You love them all equally. You love them all ferociously, or otherwise we can really mess them up. Did you ever read The Prince of Tides by Pat Conroy? I read it years ago, and I, and I haven't reread it, but I remember how the protagonist carried so much guilt because his mother told him that she loved him the best. He always felt so bad for his brother and his twin sister. It ate him up inside. It wasn't until he was an adult that his siblings told him that their mom used to tell them the exact same thing that they were each the favorite child. Okay, even if she didn't actually have a favorite, that's still messed up. Oh, the dysfunction in our families reflects the brokenness in our individual lives, doesn't it? And when we look at these characters in the Bible, lest we judge too harshly from too high of a perch, do we ever catch a glimpse of ourselves? Who do you most identify with in the Joseph story? Were, the, were you the cute youngest child who could do no wrong? Were you a tattletale? Were you a jealous brother or sister who never seemed to be able to measure up? Were you on the giving or receiving end of favoritism? Most of us are not essentially bad people, but we've all probably had a taste of greed, selfishness, pride, favoritism, and jealousy. We are all flawed. Stan Lee, the head of Marvel Comics, changed the game for superheroes when he decided to make them flawed and to have weaknesses instead of being godlike. People took to it because they could relate to them in a way that they couldn't with Superman. These outcasts and misfits rose to the alarm clocks buzzing and they slogged to work each morning to get the job done, not in a fanciful metropolis or Gotham, but to the actual streets of New York City and in imperfect America beyond it. For them, the struggle was the thing. No matter whether the task was saving the world, paying the rent, or trying to make ends meet as a freelance photographer. In 1969, Lee wrote, 
One of the things we try to demonstrate in our stories is that nobody is all good or all bad. Even a shoddy supervillain can have a redeeming trait, just as a howling hero might have his nutty hang-ups. He later wrote, none of us is all that different from each other. We all want essentially the same kind of things out of life. So why don't we all stop wasting time hating the other guy? Just look in the mirror, mister. That other guy is you. So perhaps we can see ourselves in the Joseph story. And maybe we can also relate to the way our traits and gifts can cut both ways. Did you notice that the same God-given gift that got Joseph thrown into the pit is the same gift that got him out? Joseph's ability to interpret dreams became the tipping point for his brothers, hating him even more. So they got rid of him. While in prison, Joseph used this gift for Pharaoh's officers, and ultimately that's what gets him lifted out of the pit to have an audience with Pharaoh. After he uses this gift to decipher Pharaoh's dreams, he was lifted to an even higher glory as the second most powerful leader in all of Egypt. This idea is reflected in a poem called Power, written by Adrian Rich. This poem is about two-time Nobel Prize winner Marie Curie, who conducted pioneering research on radioactivity. Listen to these four lines. She died a famous woman, denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. Each of us is complex, goodness mingled with imperfections. With our weakness in character, our lapse of judgment, and just the brokenness of the world, the odds are pretty good that sometime on this journey, we too will find ourselves in a deep pit. I'm not sure if it matters whether we jumped or whether we were pushed. What matters is what we do when we're sitting in the darkness. Lavera Crowley, a hospice chaplain, says, there is deep beauty in the darkness in the unknowing, in the indescribable, if only we can open ourselves to its purpose. Metaphorically, the dark emotions of grief, fear, and despair can be profound teachers and guides. The primal howl of existential suffering holds within it the lesson that we all must learn at some time in our lives. To heal from our suffering, not merely to ease or palliate it, but to transform it into the source and substance of our growth and wisdom requires a journey through it. In other words, perhaps the unexpected journey is good even when we are thrown into a pit along the way. Suffering can lead in one of two directions. It can make us bitter and close us down, or we can become wise, compassionate, and utterly open. 
I like to imagine the pit like the writer of Hebrews who says in chapter 10, verse 31, fall into the hands of a living God. Isn't that nice? It's like a trust fall into the hands of God. It reminds me of that beautiful duet by Andrea Bocelli and his 20-year-old son, Matteo, called Fall on Me. A strong, healthy relationship between a parent and a child can give us a taste of the unconditional love of God. I want to show you just one minute of this music video, but I would encourage you to watch the whole thing later. It begins with Matteo singing a verse in English, and then his dad sings a verse in Italian, and then we pick it up where together they sing, I close my eyes and I'm seeing you everywhere. I step outside. It's like I'm breathing you in the air. I can feel you there. And then the chorus, fall on me with open arms. Fall on me from where you are. Fall on me with all your light. Let's take a look. I close my eyes and I'm seeing you everywhere. I step outside, it's like I'm breathing you in the air. I can feel your thirst. Two lines that Andrea sings to his son are something I can imagine God singing to us. My love will forever be stronger than stone. Don't be afraid, you are never alone. As we are falling into the pit, if we can trust that God is catching us and holding us in the darkness, perhaps we can be open to what our suffering is meant to teach us. Richard Rohr says the virtue of hope comes from a learned capacity to suffer wisely, calmly, and generously. The gospel gives our suffering both personal and cosmic meaning by connecting our pain to the pain of others, and finally by connecting us to the very pain of God. Although we wouldn't choose suffering, there is a spiritual maturing and a sacred connection to Jesus and to life itself if we are open to it. I suppose that's what the Apostle Paul is getting after in Romans 5 when he writes, we also boast in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character 
and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Our seniors are getting ready to embark on the world. They have plans and hopes and dreams. Their moms and dads are experiencing yet another lesson in grief and loss and letting go. And this pandemic is causing all of us to hold on loosely to our plans and our hopes for the future. Perhaps this season of instability and unknowing is shaping us and softening our hearts to connect deeper with God and to receive more of God's love and goodness. Perhaps it's preparing us for the other pits we may encounter along the path. In 2015, Kate Bowler was a 35-year-old professor at Duke Divinity School, married to her high school sweetheart, mother of a newborn son, and suddenly diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. In her most recent book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, she writes this, Plans are made. Plans come apart. New delights or tragedies pop up in their place. And nothing human or divine will map out this life, this life that has been more painful than I could have imagined, more beautiful than I could have imagined. That's the secret. Don't skip to the end. Somehow, somehow we have to find the courage to show up for our lives, even when our dreams seem shattered, even when we are down in the pit. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal last week about former pro basketball player David Gardner. When Gardner starts to feel frustrated or annoyed these days, let's say when he's in the pit, he asks himself this question, what is the gift in this situation? Can you hear the curiosity and the openness to the spirit in that kind of question? It's a step towards mindfulness, which is an opening and a step towards God. John Kabat-Zinn has defined mindfulness as the awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. He also said it's about living your life as if it really mattered, moment by moment by moment by moment. And the question for us, I suppose, is this. Do we trust that the ways of God are at work, regardless of the human attitudes and actions around us, regardless of how bleak it may seem? Do we trust that we have fallen into the hands of a living God? Well, somewhere along the way, Joseph grew up. I think his experiences in the dark pits are what humbled him and connected him to God in a deeper way. When Joseph had all the power and maybe even the justification to punish his brothers for the heinous crime, he chose instead to forgive them. Joseph had learned 
to suffer wisely, calmly, and generously. And from this place of trust in God, from a deep knowing of who he is and in whose hands he fell, Joseph said to his brothers, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. Friends, in the moment, we don't always understand it. We can't always see it. But remember, remember it was the radical love of God that put Jesus on a cross and into the grave and into the very pit of hell. And it was the same radical love that raised Jesus out of the pit, lifting him up to even higher glory, now sitting on the right hand of God. This gift this gift of radical love, of grace and mercy and eternal life is promised to each one of us. Can you imagine if we leaned into that promise, how our relationships and our lives would be transformed? Imagine if we all trusted that God is at work in our lives for good and that God is there to catch us when we fall. Close your eyes and dream and fall into the hands of our living God.